Let us begin in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Well, welcome to another edition of Seeds of Truth. This is your host, Joe Holcraft, coming to you from KKXX Studios, Chico Life Radio, 104.5 FM and AM 930. It is great to be with you another Wednesday evening where we will continue our reflections into the world's stage. This evening that is devoted to exploring certain movies and as we explore them, reflecting into their Christian themes, the redemptive values. We, oh, approximately four weeks ago, set this evening up with a reflection on what it means to talk about uh, the theodrama, that as we watch a movie, we, so to speak, are uh, watching masks of ourselves, and there's something always being unveiled about ourselves, if not something as it relates to uh, the greater, bigger Christian story, as some of the movies we will be talking about and have talked about really do touch strongly on Christian allegory. And I say we, of course, because Father Mike Ritter is in studio with me. Father Mike, great to have you with me another evening. It's good to be with you, and I think this is the first movie that we actually watched in its entirety together. Yes, and the only reason we did so, Father Mike, is because we were in a movie theater. Yep, dinner and a movie. (laughs) It was great. (laughs) So we didn't have the remote control to hit pause or to stop, or at least you didn't have your remote control (laughs) to hit pause or stop. But there were definitely some pause-worthy moments. There were some pause-worthy moments, and in fact, at one point, I think I leaned over to you uh, to say something, and my wife was elbowing me, telling me to, to be quiet, you know, go out there if you have something to talk <laughs> yeah, about, yeah. right? It's a lot of fun. <laughs> it was a lot of fun, and I think it's something that we're going to have to do more of. You know, Father Mike, one of the things that has been asked of me, and I don't know if this has happened to you, but a lot of the parishioners and a number of emails have been coming in asking me to talk about movies that are in the movie theater. Yeah. So, you know, in the first three, four weeks, we've been touching upon the classics, rightfully so, right? But I think off and on... As I'm getting a sense, the, the folks out there want us talking about contemporary movies. We will certainly be talking about contemporary movies. And with that, this evening we are going to talk about a movie that I don't know if I was ready for, honestly, Murder on the Orient Express. This was asked by a number of people, hey, can you and Father Mike talk about this movie? It deals with what you were talking about a few weeks ago in Les Miserables with Justice and Mercy. But man, oh man, is this movie rich. Yeah, you know, I would, I would even say it's beautiful. You know, yeah. it's a very powerfully uh, done movie. It was. You know, the, the cinematography, everything that you're looking for really in a movie, including a cast of characters for the ages, <laughs> like, yeah. and all these very well-known actors and actresses were uh, in this movie. Now, Father Mike, what I do want to do is just kind of jump into a review yeah. of the movie so we can really get to the meat and potatoes. So Murder on Orient Express... Uh, depicts the world-famous and, we should say, impeccably flawless, right, Mm -hmm. Detective Poirot. Now, at the beginning of the movie, and I mean at the very, very beginning of the movie, we might find ourselves asking the question, why is this man with his uh, curly mustache, right? It's an amazing mustache, yeah. (laughs) It really was. So concerned with these breakfast eggs being the exact same size, Mm -hmm. right? Uh, Well, because for Poirot, everything must be in place. Everything yep. must be in order. Yeah. And maybe even more specifically, I think, Father Mike, everything for him can be resolved. So there was that kind of interplay going on. Absolutely. Now, seemingly by chance, 
Detective Perot ends up on the Orient Express, this famous cross-Europe train. Once the train is in motion, if you're watching this movie with the, the title in mind, Murder on Orient Express, uh, the anticipated murder of one Edward Ratchet uh, takes place. Now, of course, Edward Ratchet is played by uh, Johnny Depp. And ultimately, the incomparable Perot is employed to unravel uh, the mystery mm-hmm. and find the killer. And it is here where we get to know the other 12 on the train. And be rest assured, something we're going to talk about, Father Mike, their significance to 12. Oh, yeah. I don't know if it's so much you know, the 12 apostles, per se, as much as 12 represents jury, justice. So something's going on there. Now, each of these 12 is the potential murder. One of them is the potential murder. And, and I love the line, as Detective Perot states it, there has been a murder on this train, so there is a murder. Yeah, that's such a great line. Yeah, so the, and we're going to come back to that one as well, I think. Now, to varying degrees, they all seem guilty, as they all have a tie to Ratchet. But initially, really not one is standing out, per se, as the definitive culprit. What lies at the heart of Perot's investigation as it is revealed, revenge for a murder long ago of a young girl by the name of Daisy, as is revealed in the movie Father Mike, everyone on the train had a connection to Daisy's death. And one by one, each passenger reveals their motive to avenge Daisy's death. But no one, at least initially, was willing to admit to the murder. And it was not until the end in this really kind of grand unveiling of his great detective work, that we discover the consensus, the 12, was in fact, um, hit the pause button. If you have not watched this movie, yeah. turn me off right yeah, now. Yeah, spoiler alert. <laughs> Major spoiler alert, right? <laughs> that in fact, we discovered that the consensus, the 12, was the one. That is to say, uh, the culprit was all 12. All 12 had a role in the death, each of them contributing to the death of uh, Mr. Ratchet, played by Johnny Depp. Now, Father Mike, there is a great moment at the end of this movie, which is probably best cast against a moment at the beginning of the movie. In the initial moments of the movie, Detective Perot is dialoguing with an associate, and he says, I can only see the world as it should be. Imperfections stick out like a sore thumb. And whatever people say and do, there is right and there is wrong and nothing in between. Mm -hmm. And now in the end of the movie, and this is a bit of a paraphrase as we were talking about it, we hear him say, in effect, everyone has poison of deep grief. Mm -hmm. I have been asked to listen to my heart. The scales of justice cannot be equally weighed. There are no killers here, only good people and they can be good again. And here I thought, just a beautiful line, there is right, there is wrong, and then there is you. Yeah. Right? So at the beginning of the movie, you have, I see the world as it was intended to be seen. There's right and there's wrong and there's nothing in between. And now at the end of the movie, what do you have? There's right, there's wrong, and then uh, there is you. This so beautifully uh, brings out for us the deeper, truer meaning of justice that I think the movie is, is getting at. You talked about um, there being 12 people on the train representing kind of a trial. Uh, there, there's a jury here, um, and, and it's getting at who is the guilty party, 
Yeah. One of the things that, that strikes me about this train is that everybody on board is guilty. Yeah. No, we have a we have a theological concept for that, and that is original sin. Yes. That yes. is that you and I, uh, we are inheritors of a world where human relationships are broken, and they were broken long before uh, we got here. There's a deep wound, and justice has to has to be able to see in the person in the crime in, that that we sin against one another because we've been sinned against first. Yeah. And that really is the, the rich kind of vision of mercy, or what becomes clear, uh, justice yeah. rather, as this investigation goes on. There is a, a kind of primal guilt, if you will, or an ancient wound that lies behind all of the ways in which we wound one another. Uh, the movie opens up with a, kind of a, a striking scene, and that is we're presented with this... Uh, this encounter, this crime that's committed in front of the Wailing Wall, the Jewish yeah, Wailing Wall, yeah. which is, again, a place of, uh, of grieving a primal wound, you know, the loss of the temple, the center of religion. In, in this case, on the train, the primal wound is the loss of this girl to which every person has a connection. And what becomes clear as the investigation goes on and, and the murder takes place is that he, he was stabbed 12 times. Uh, every person uh, stabbed him once. Fine, but the truth of the matter is um, they wounded because they were wounded first. And slowly but surely, Detective Perot begins to see that. I think that's really the crown jewel of this movie. What did I say earlier? What did Detective Perot say at one point? But I was made to listen to my heart. So again, in the beginning of the movie, it was there's right, there's wrong, there's nothing in between. And now there's right and there's wrong and then there's you. He encountered each of these 12 members, these, these 12 quote-unquote jury members on the train, right? And as he began to investigate them, he listened to their stories. And isn't it interesting, Father Mike, when you talk about listening and the art of listening, what is at the center of all good listening? But allowing the person to tell their story. And this is what he did with each of the 12. He did not accuse but he listened to them. And over the course of these 12 interviews, he had begun to understand something new as he was listening to their heart. He was really taking his understanding of justice, right, to give each their due, and he was beginning to put it in the context of their wound, right? And as he was doing that, it was opening him up to something different, right? Something different, not all is equal on the scales of justice. This must have been what was resonating in his heart, as certainly this is something that he speaks to at more the end of the narrative. You hit it uh, right on the head, that um, he goes about exercising judgment by getting to know these people, hearing their stories, and dismantling, if you will, kind of the foundational assumption, and that is that there was a murderer, so there, there was a murder, therefore there is a murderer here. Yeah. We walk with that when we speak of justice, and they say justice is blind. Yeah, we have yeah. kind of this blind assumption. Um, there was a murder, therefore one of you is a murderer. You know, you're in a terrible situation. Somehow you must have caused or deserved it. Yeah, you did a terrible thing. You're a terrible person. Yeah, right? <laughs> and, and so this idea of, um, and he'll speak to this later, that the, the, the scales of justice can't always be measured equally. I mean, that yeah. we... We're always trying to figure out the cause, the, the effect, the balance here, what, what was deserved. But um, he dismantles that 
Uh, justice cannot be blind once you know the person and their story and understand where they're coming from. I yeah. had a, a great spiritual director who made the comment once. He says, you know, there is pain in living. So before I can look at another person and judge their behavior, ask why does he do what he does, I first must ask himself, what is his pain? Yeah. Because yeah, then, beautiful. only then can I understand him and can we begin to approach what justice might be like uh, yeah. for that person. Gosh, Father Mike, as I'm listening to you right now, I'm really, really struck by something. Listen to this phrase. We say, I have done something bad, or I have done a terrible thing, so therefore I am a bad person, or I am a terrible person. What is it that we are saying when we say, I am? Are we saying that we are definitively bad, or that we are definitively a terrible person? What does Jesus say? In John chapter 14, verse 6, I am the way, the truth, and the life. All throughout the gospel of John, what do we read about? These I am sayings. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and life. To say I am in such a finite way is to really miss the boat on divine revelation. Because when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, he wants us to understand that he has taken that which we think is definitive and atoned for it, where we are now made to draw from his absolute truth, which is what? But mercy. Justice remains, of course. Of course it does. But in his mercy, what we think is so definitive about who we are and our woundedness and our brokenness and our sin, no. Jesus says, this moment in the here and now is a new and better way in me. So abide in me, abide in the one who is the definitive I am. And this is where I think justice has something to do with inhabiting that deeper truth uh, about who we are, which stands above what we do. You know, yeah. the, the logic, uh, there was a murder, therefore somebody here is a murderer. But um, justice has something to do with, yeah, accessing, inhabiting this deeper truth about who we are. And here I think, Father Mike, we can pick up on a very important point, and that is how Detective Perot is a Christ-like figure, right? He's innocent. He is impeccably flawless. I dare say he is spotless and without blemish. And maybe most importantly, he dispenses mercy. He steps onto this place of brokenness, this train. He encounters the brokenness, and as he does, he dispenses mercy. He dispenses mercy. He really walks with them as we've been talking about. He journeys with them. He listens to them. He hears them. And as he does so, he comes to understand that deeper truth of brokenness. You know, Father Mike, how can we here not think about the cross where Jesus says to us, it is my deepest desire that you enter into my merciful love. And as you do, that you might better understand that I will meet you exactly where you're at and walk with you exactly as I am, leading you down a new path, a new track. I mean, what must have been in the mind and heart of those 12 as he got off the train and they remained on the train and headed off to their next destination? He dispensed mercy and they were on a new track. This is what Jesus does for us, right? And Detective Perot, yeah, he is a Christ-like figure, huh? Yeah, and this is the, the great kind of discovery or insight of the movie 
is when this detective says, you know, I, have, I can't judge this case. He says, there are no murderers here, only uh, wounded people who need to be healed. Yeah. yeah. I had a, a, a dear friend as a, was an old, experienced priest, and I, we were at dinner someplace one time, and somebody comes up and says, Father, you hear all these confessions for all these years. I mean, don't you uh, get discouraged about human nature? You always hear people's worst. And he says, uh, and I won't forget this, he says, I have only ever heard one thing in confession, and that is good people trying to be better. Yeah, and that's always, that's always the best side of human nature. Uh, to be able to look at um, one another and see not what you have done uh, or what you deserve, but rather, um, yeah, good people who sometimes do bad things. Such a beautiful line. He says, I, I only see not murders, but good people who can become good again. Yeah. Mercy is certainly not about giving people a pass. That's not it. Mercy is the knowledge of the person that embraces uh, this, this deeper mystery. Two things strike me about, about the train, about this uh, metaphor that we're given, this, and that is um, everyone is guilty. Yeah. There's not one innocent person on the train except for the Christ figure. Yeah. And uh, so part of being merciful with one another uh, comes from the knowledge that I am not innocent. Yeah, you know, yeah. and so uh, coming back to the image of the jury, the trial, I don't have legal grounds to be, you know, uh, to stand over you. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, I point a finger, but as one who is equally guilty. Yeah, yeah. Um, that's again coming back to the idea of original sin. Uh, none of us is innocent. Yeah. Uh, and then the second piece being though that behind the guilt, behind the bad behavior, is our being wounded. Mm -hmm. Mercy then is not giving us a pass for bad behavior but rather uh, this awareness. There are good people here, and they can be good again. Yeah. Justice, then, is not so much a question of reward, punishment. We say justice has been served. You yeah. got what you had coming. Yeah. But justice is rather movement toward this conviction. You are good, and you can be good again. Mm. Justice is about the good again. Here, Father Mike, I am made to think of that all-important a gift of the Holy Spirit, the fear of the Lord. And of course, we know that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. Really, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all spiritual gifts. Because the fear of the Lord is that all-like reverence before God. It is that humble disposition that really does see our own brokenness first. And it is in that humble disposition that we can begin to engage our brothers and sisters in admonishment. I mean, for all that we have talked about, this doesn't mean that we remove that gospel tenet of admonishing our brother and sister in Christ that they might be right again with God, but it really highlights the virtues that are in play when we do that. Because what are the virtues in play? What does St. Paul talk about almost every time he talks about admonishment, but the virtues of gentleness and reverence? These are the virtues that not only disarm, but create that space for the necessary conversation and dialogue and admonishment to happen. When the humble person approaches you and says, Hey, um, I saw you do this or that, and you know, you ought to think about how this is affecting person A and B, or so on and so forth. When you approach that person, when you have that necessary encounter, and you do so in these uh, virtues that we speak of, mindful of our own sinfulness and of our own brokenness, then the admonishment will be what it needs to be. You know, the line comes up a couple of times in the movie, 
it takes a fractured soul yeah. to commit murder. And that yeah. really is at the heart. It, there's a powerful imagery, just at the murder scene itself. Mr. Ratchet has been killed, and he's been stabbed 12 times. And it comes out at the end that each of the 12 has stabbed him, you know, that uh, 12 wounds. Yeah. And in a sense, um, as we've said, we wound because we're wounded. How one grievous act in the past has wounded all these people and, and that this cycle of hurt is perpetuated. I, I had just had a conversation uh, with, with a woman. Um, we were processing the death of a family member, and she says to me, Father, I have learned the mystery of, of life, the secret of life. I said, what's that? She said, it's I feel f- like I need to give you a drum roll right <laughs> <Yeah>. now. <laughs> she says, I've learned the secret of life. She said, it's forgiveness. Mm-hmm. It's forgiveness. Yeah. You and I, we are on a train, yeah. and you and I, we are guilty. And uh, behind our guilt stands our woundedness. I had a priest friend, Father Gene Conkle, who passed away a number of years ago now. But one of his last sermons, I remember very clearly, he was preaching about Jesus uh, raising from the dead in John's gospel, the forgiveness of sins and whatnot. And he, he recounts that story of Jesus meeting Thomas. Thomas won't believe until he touches the wounds of Christ. And I'll never forget uh, Father Conkle. He says, you know, when we stand before God, for justice, for judgment. He doesn't ask us, show me your trophies, show me the good things you've done. He says, show me your wounds. That somehow healing, wholeness, forgiveness has something to do with being embraced by God in our woundedness. Yeah, and this brings into play what we talked about last week as it relates to what the word salvation actually means, right? A, A word that literally translates as what, but healing or healing balm. Yeah. Uh, his wound, right, heals our wound. Yeah. And again, once we enter into the I am of that wound, will we better understand who we are as uh, sons and daughters of God? Well, Father Mike, I wanted to pivot here a little bit and turn our attention to something uh, that was going on in the movie. Throughout the story, Perot is uh, seen reading from Charles Dickens' Tale of Two Cities. Yeah. Now, anytime you have something like this happen, say in a book or in a movie you're watching, the lead character, the key protagonist, taking up another book, the author or the producer, director, writer, it's very intentional, right? It's very intentional. The Tale of Two Cities ends with this. It is a far, far better thing that I do than I have ever done. It is a far, far better rest I go to than I have ever known. So to hear those words now, after you know how the movie unfolded, those words make perfect sense. In so many ways, the way in which the narrative does unfold is really in lockstep with A Tale of Two Cities in so far as what takes place in the mind and heart of Detective Perot and what you are hearing at the conclusion of A Tale of Two Cities. What's interesting is that in watching the movie... All throughout the movie, he's laughing, right? And so we're kind of made to interpret this laughter without the real context, unless you know the story of Murder on the Orient Express and you know the tale of two cities. Well, so you're, you're drawn into another narrative. To me, and we heard that in different ways, yeah, to me yeah. that was almost like he didn't believe it, like this can't yeah. be real, this yes. can't be serious. Yes, which of course suggests that he wasn't ready to uh, bark up that tree, so to speak. He wasn't there yet. <laughs> no, he wasn't. But in and through the encounters, um, he arrived at that place. Yeah. He began to see the wound. He began to see the brokenness. And 
And if there was a point to be had as we break this evening, Father Mike, for our listeners, it is that we have to appreciate that each and every one of us are, in fact, broken, wounded. And this is going to vary to some degree, of course, Mm -hmm. uh, and that's going to be tied to our loss and our grief, whatnot. But if we can just take a step back Mm -hmm. and appreciate that dynamic, that we are all broken, and at the same time, we have someone who is there to restore us, restore us to right relationship because of the gift of mercy, that in the end, justice was caught up in the great act of mercy on the cross. This should bring us hope. Yeah. This should bring us hope as those 12, uh, as they remained on the train, were left, I think, with hope. Yeah, so absolutely. The takeaway for me, this movie uh, challenges our, some of our assumptions. There was a murder, therefore there is a murderer. You're homeless. You probably did something to deserve your homelessness. Yes. But justice requires a deeper knowledge of the person. They're not bad people. They're good people who can be good again. Yeah. A willingness to get to know uh, the people that we're ready to dole out justice for, to hear their stories and to try to embrace them in a way that acknowledges uh, the wound, I think, is a step towards justice for us. You know, Father Mike, we all know Ted Bundy, the man who raped and killed 33 women. Just days before he went to the chair to die his death, he sought out an interview with Dr. Dobson. Did he seek out this interview to recuse himself, exonerate himself, that he might live, that he might have the death penalty lifted? No. He just wanted to tell his story. He wanted to talk about his brokenness. He wanted to talk about his woundedness. He shared openly with Dr. Dobson what he did. But as he did, he also talked about how he found God. Now, it is not for me to determine where he went after his death. But in saying that, what I am most struck by was the fact that he wanted to tell his story, and it was a story that was replete with brokenness, with suffering. And yeah, a lot of it was talking about how he tapped into pornography and it it led him down the road that, that he walked. But he had a message for all those men and women willing to hear. Don't tap into that sin because it will open a wound you do not want to be opened. He wanted to share his story. I will tell you, Father Mike, I was moved. (laughs) I was uh, deeply moved. And again, we all have a story to tell. And what we do is only a reflection of uh, who we are. And so uh, let us start anew this evening, this night. This is my closing message. Let us start anew. Let's embrace this moment. Repent and believe because the kingdom of mercy is at hand. Amen. All right, Father Mike, can you close us with a word of prayer? God of justice and of mercy, uh, you who know our wounds, you who see the goodness in us and call us to be good again, we ask for your blessing. We ask for healing where healing is needed. We ask for peace. You who are the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God bless you. Thanks for listening to Seeds of Truth, heard every evening, Monday through Friday at 530 here on KKXX. 
If you'd like to hear this program or find out how you can help support Seeds of Truth, the website is joeholcraft.org.